Welcome to the Agile Coffee Podcast. My name is Vic Bonacci. You can follow the show on Twitter at Agile Coffee. There's always two hashtags I call out. Most episodes I do anyway. The first is Ask Agile Coffee. Use that hashtag on Twitter so that we can know what topics to include on upcoming episodes. The second hashtag, Tell Agile Coffee. If there's something you hear us talk about and you want to tell us your perspective, give us your take on it, uh, drop us that hashtag on Twitter, Tell Agile Coffee. Today's episode is really fantastic. We've got a couple of fresh voices new to the podcast, so I I think you're really going to love it. Um, It was recorded back in July. Um, As I'm speaking to you now, I'm recording this in September. In fact, we're fresh off the heels of the Agile Open Southern California. This year it was virtual, of course, in 2020. But we had such an amazing time over that day and a half. Um, In fact, I've already recorded one podcast with some of the visitors, some of the participants at that Agile Open event that we had, the Open Space event, Um, and I'm looking forward to, in the next upcoming days and weeks, having more guests on the show who've been at that um, Agile Open Space. So uh, look forward to those in the very next episodes. Um, If you would like to be on an upcoming episode of the Agile Coffee podcast, please reach out to us again on Twitter, at Agile Coffee. Uh, So speaking of conferences, um, if you didn't happen to get to the Agile Open uh, that we just held in early September here of 2020, you still have an opportunity. There's an amazing conference coming up in October. It's called the Agile Online Summit. It's completely free, and it's for five days, October 26th through the 30th. Um, What can I say about it? It's going to be a great time because there's a lot of networking going on. Uh, There's going to be live Q&A sessions, five tracks over these five days with eight, eight amazing keynote speakers. So check it out, agileonlinesummit.com for more information. It's coming up in the end of October, so you still have a little bit of time to get there, but don't delay. What else? Okay, so before I let you go and and give your uh, earbuds a beautiful listen to um, to this next uh, next hour or so of, of really great topics, I do want to ask for your help. So making this podcast has been taking a lot of time and effort, and I love to do it because I love to have these conversations, as you can tell, listening. I love giving back as well. So it's really important to me to do this. However, I'd really like to um, make a challenge for myself, set a goal for myself to do these much more frequently. Um, We're on episode 71 today. Um, I'd like to see if we can get you know, one of these out every week and, and just bring joy to the world <laughs> in terms of looking for fresh brews in agile conversations. Uh, so new guests, um, uh, just being on a cadence weekly, but we can only do that with your help. So in order to support us, um, I'm asking you to go over to our Patreon page. That's at patreon.com slash agile coffee. You can help us out by signing up today and uh, helping us bring new voices and new topics to this wonderful world of agile conversation. So with that, I ask you, dear listeners, to sit back, relax, and enjoy a fresh brew of agile coffee. I'm so delighted today because we have some first-time guests on the show. Allison Pollard, hi, how are you? I'm great. 
Allison and I have known each other for many years now, and uh, she can be found on Twitter at Allison underscore Pollard. You're a technical director at Improving, and uh, I came down and toured the facilities with you once a long time ago. You were so generous. It It was awesome. You did a lean coffee with me and my colleagues. And speaking of colleagues, your friend Ruth Strzok is here today. Hi, Ruth. Hello. I'm really glad that you could join us today. Uh, an agile coach with her own company, Open Strategies Northwest, up in Portland, Oregon. And Ruth is on Twitter, at Ruth Strzok. And Ben Rodlitz. Hi, Ben. Hey, Vic. We, uh, we know Ben. It feels like Ben and I are on every Zoom call together these days. Uh, on Twitter, at Ben Rodlitz. No underscore. Just to let you know, Ben, there's no underscore on your Twitter handle. <laughs> Agile coach and rabble rouser, I call you. But welcome, everybody. Thank hey. you. So um, I should remind us to vote. We've got some topics up there, and I guess I was too busy doing introductions in the beginning that I forgot how to, uh, how to ask people to vote. So go ahead and take care of that so it looks like we've got about five cards up on the board here today we're going to do a traditional lean coffee as always we use this tool called leancoffeetable.com so um, I'll give you more information about that in the show notes to this at agilecoffee.com slash episode 70 but our first card is from Allison it says getting clearer on outcomes and finding efficiencies what's that all about <laughs> yeah uh, I, I was struggling to put it in words uh, but I, I'm seeing that you know through this this pandemic and, and everything that's happening right now a lot of companies are looking for you know cost savings or, or they're really trying to increase their revenue like there's really clear outcomes um, that the executives are looking for. But it's getting lost, you know, by the time it gets to the team. And as agile coaches, I'm wondering, like, how do we how do we make it clear what we can do to help that organization gain those outcomes that they're looking for and, and find those efficiencies? Well, I think, first of all, I think just the topic of getting people to think in terms of outcomes is really important. Mm. Um, uh, Vic mentioned I'd done a, a talk at the Strum Gathering about outcomes over outputs, but there we talked specifically about the Scrum ceremonies mm. and talking about what do we do in the scrum, scrum ceremonies? What is it that we really want the Scrum ceremonies to do? And then mm-hmm. map them. And the ones that are here that don't have outputs, we need to start doing things. And also some of the things we do that don't map to any outcomes, maybe we should think about not doing. Mm. But I've started um, stepping back one level and just talking about what the idea of outcomes are. Yeah. And the, the example I use real quickly, real short at the beginning, is, is making a meal, you know, where the output is the food. We know what the output of the food is. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll ask them, you know, what are the outcomes of the meal? And usually there's laughing and tittering and stuff, and, and nobody will say anything. So I said, well, okay. So I could take chocolate syrup and a, and a bass and put them into a blender and blend them because that meets what you said you wanted to do, which was to provide food. Mm-hmm. And that's not it. And then we'll talk about, because this is something that's really important, is what is it you're optimizing? Why are you doing it, right? Yeah. So some meals are nutrition. Some are uh, for losing weight. Some are for celebrations. Some are trying new themes. Some are themes. And depending on what your outcome is, you have a different different output. So I, I start... 
I like the way you've like used that metaphor and like elaborated it too. Like what, like what is the nutrition or, or like what is the, the thing you're like wanting from that particular meal? And yeah. that's, and that's exactly what I think we need to do. I, and I'm, I'd love to hear how you do it, but that's exactly mm-hmm. what we need to do with, uh, with leadership. You know, in other words, their hair is on fire and mm-hmm. they think they know what they want, but let's do a little root cause. Yeah, a lot of times just having those having those discussions to probe, you know, what are they looking for? What are they trying to, uh, you know, when they start talking about what they want, they're a lot of times talking about outcut, the outcome. Mm-hmm. And um, you're, you, instead of saying, uh, finding out what the problems are, they're just giving you facts, facts of how things are right now. It's mm-hmm. like, yes, that's true. And yes, that's true again. And yes, that's true again. But what do you want? And so if you keep probing them for, well, what do you really want? You know, is it the, you know, is it the medic question of, well, we need to make money. <laughs> yeah. Or we need to quit losing money. I mean, there's some certain things. They will oftentimes uh, give you a list of, things that are not working or mm-hmm. things that are causing certain things to happen, but they don't really know what they want. So I think that um, that question period of really probing until you find out, uh, make that bridge of away from what is happening right now to what do they want. And then you can start that conversation. Of, well, okay, now that we know what you really want, how do we get there? And so then you can start uh, giving options or talking to them about possible paths for reaching those outcomes. Mm. Yeah, because I, I, I think there's something there like to, to probing and like really understanding the problem space. And it might mean we're kind of hanging out there for a while uh, yeah. to like really get that understanding, that clarity. Uh, and that can be uncomfortable not only for the executives, you know, and the leaders, but I think even as coaches, you know, or consultants on like, I'm not doing a thing, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not producing something. I'm not, I'm not like showing like, here's an activity that I'm contributing, you know, something more tangible. Um, but there, there's something I think magical about staying there with the executives and getting that like really crystal clear outcome and maybe using the metaphors, you know, around the meals and like, what is, is it nutrition? Is it comfort food? You know, that we're like, we're wanting to to just, you know, like feel better about something and, and bringing it into, okay, if we do have these problems that then how do we tackle it? You know, like with that particular lens that we've now established, um, yes. you know, tor- towards, you know, the, the ultimate goal there. It is very uncomfortable. Um, the executives I found are very uncomfortable when, when you start um, helping them understand that, yes, they do know what a lot of their problems are, or this is current state. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. Um, and if you just tell them, yes, that is true, or yeah, you keep telling them what they're, you know, just identifying facts and eventually leading them to um, question for themselves what is important, what is important to them, what is the problem they're trying to solve. They haven't really thought it through. They just know they have a problem and they know a lot of things that might not work, 
mm-hmm. but how to get there and what that problem is um, needs to, you have to get through those uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you, you had it well put there, um, how you're talking about having them kind of own the solution as, and you're, as a coach, you're helping facilitate that solution. But if they're not coming up, if we together, I should say, aren't coming mm-hmm. up with that solution, it could feel very painful even to, to pause and wait in an uncomfortable silence for a dreaded seven seconds or 10 <laughs> seconds, you could feel like your job is on the line. Why won't someone talk, you know, but as a coach or facilitator, you need them to own that solution. So mm-hmm. yeah, I totally agree. Um, the efficiencies part of it though, I wanted to ask about since you had wrote finding efficiencies, were there anything specific uh, process wise, like efficiencies that you're kind of, uh, well, yeah, over? yeah, because um, you know some of the some of the clients that I've been working with, you know, larger organizations, they've had standard you know policies and like standard ways of, of things. You know, this is how it gets done. Uh, and right now, I, I feel like there's a really interesting opportunity to to look at things differently and go, you know, does it make sense to have all these approvals or all these handoffs or to have these disconnected groups, uh, you know, having to to work together on something um, that like we might be able to cut through bureaucracy a a bit stronger now, you know, than we were, say, six months ago. Uh, And and maybe, you know, those are the efficiencies that I'm kind of looking at of like, where do we, you know, remove some waste that, we just considered part of our world, right? It was like asking the fish about water. You're like, hey, like, well, how's the waste? You're like, I don't know what you're talking about. This is just how we do things. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that Take the time right now allows us um, the opportunity to look at current process or the way things have been done before. A lot mm-hmm. of things are being redefined. How do mm-hmm. we even have meetings? How do we talk about things? How do we make decisions? And when we're redefining those things because we live in a different world right now um it is an opportunity to find those areas of waste mm-hmm. and um give the our give our clients the opportunity to maybe change things and figure out really is that working for you the way it is yeah. right now and if it's not and we have to structure it differently because we are now remote mm-hmm. are there um things that we can look at doing differently yeah, the, the facilitation of that too, and the framing changes. I mean, we've we've all asked the same question a hundred different ways. You know, what what's the goal state? What does success look like? What are the mm-hmm. acceptance criteria? And it seems like each engagement, a different way of asking that works. And um, with the efficiency, I was at a at a place that had been around. The average person had been there over twelve years. And for me, the question that I asked that seemed the most impactful for them on this idea mm-hmm. of efficiency was, what if we stopped doing that? What yeah. horrible thing would happen if we stopped doing that? Because they, yeah. they went from waterfall to agile, and they, they had four agile gates. Instead of four waterfall gates, they had four <laughs> agile gates. Yeah. And they had 18 things that had to happen between the second and third gate. And that was kind of the gate that said, after this gate's done, they can start working, mm-hmm. you know, or we could start testing. I don't remember what it was. Anyway, so we went through the, you know, I said, what if we didn't do any of these things? What would happen? Mm. And they said, well, okay, uh, import, export. We can't send stuff. You know, if, if there's certain things in the new release, we can't send it. Okay, right. We wrote that down. Um, 
documentation. You know, there may be documentation. Okay, we wrote that down. Um, the customer service people may not know if, if in this release there's a new thing, they should know ahead of time. Okay. And then there was silence. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, how about instead of doing these 18 things, we did these three things. And, and by making them work the other way around seemed to be really effective for that one group. Mm. So also, I, I, I'm usually not real worried about nomenclature and words, but when people say um, efficiency, I want to talk about effectiveness because this, First, is the same, yeah. this is the same thing with velocity versus delivering value because I can make sure that we much more efficiently deliver the wrong stuff. Yes, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I kind of like took it for granted in this case that of course I need the effectiveness. Of course I need, yeah. you know, like the, the end results. Um, and it, it's the means, you know, that I'm looking at that process because um, I've been feeling like, gosh, I need to, uh, you know, make clear to folks, like I, I could facilitate something like a value stream mapping workshop um, that can help the group evaluate current state versus like a future state and maybe recognize some of those handoffs or, you know, some of those approvals or gates um, that could be removed. Because uh, I, I know my coworkers and I, like we, we'd had seen some really strong success working with a release management team on you know how they could make process changes that enabled them to deploy a very large you know dot com uh, website multiple times a month uh, when they thought that was impossible or they always thought well there's there are all these like technical improvements and all this automation that's needed um, but working with them and just like step by step like what's one improvement we can try this week and what's one improvement we can try the week after that they saw these incredible gains. Uh, and, and I want to see more organizations and more coaches thinking that way um, because I think we all recognize like companies are not looking at you know, brand new, you know, testing frameworks and tools, but there are things that the employees and the teams can do to significantly improve their daily life and significantly improve, you know, the overall product delivery. Yeah, there's there's a um, sometimes the selling it up, you know, in other words, instead of here's our backlog, it's all the big new shiny objects. Mm. And there are some some DevOpsy things that you might want to work on. Mm-hmm. And how do we fit that into the backlog? And I was at now let's see, this is going to be a podcast, so I may not be able to mention mm. a very big company that started as a search engine mm. that uh, with. <laughs> hundreds of zeros in their name. And I was um, uh, up there for a short amount of time, but I was confused. I was confused. I couldn't tell if they were trying to get something done. They'd done some sort of quarterly planning or something, whether they needed something done by November 21st or January 21st. I kept hearing these two different mm. dates. So I asked them, what is the deadline? I said, well, it, it needs to be released January 21st. So we need to have a code freeze November 21st. <laughs> And I said, well, we have to have the UA testing and then we have to do this and we have to sign off and we have to do this. And my first thought was we can do that quicker, mm-hmm. right? But if I talk to the product people, they may not care about that. So the thought was to frame it to them. And again, this is how do you frame it was mm-hmm. to the product people. How would you like a month's more worth of features in that release in January? Oh, no. yeah, that's a, that's a, like, take my money now kind of yeah, proposition. Right, yeah. <laughs> and that resonated a, lot, that resonated a lot more than, oh, let us go play with Jenkins and this kind of mm-hmm, stuff mm-hmm. so that we can do it faster. But it was, I could get more stuff in that same time. You know, I mean, um, yeah, it seems like framing the question is 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 an interesting 
Mm. And that's the same thing with efficiency and effectiveness. You know, do you want us to do more stuff or you want us to do more of the right stuff? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm here to help you do more of the right stuff. But if you want us to do more stuff, we can do more stuff and we'll get bugs coming back and people getting <laughs> un- unhappy and things like that. And I can do that. I can, I can do that. But it's your I'm choice. <laughs> I, the first oh, the first consultant I ever, ever, ever met years ago when I was doing development, he left the company, became a consultant. I called him up and I said, hey, uh, Craig, we need some help with you. He goes, sure. So you don't even know what I'm going to ask you. He goes, Ben, I'm coin operated. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, great first topic. What do you think, listeners? What do you think about outcomes, this discussion of outcomes and finding efficiencies? Let us know. Use the hashtag tell Agile Coffee. So um, topic number two, Ruth, this is yours. It says, how are you engaging with teams to stay connected in the remote world? Oh, that's such a great topic. Mm. You want to kick us off with that one? Yeah, what's on your mind? Why are you thinking about that now? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, Been doing this a long time now. You know, it's like those two weeks that we were going to work at home and get over this new virus is now months. We're now months into it. And Mm -hmm. um, teams that have never worked remotely with each other, people are all working at home. People are getting Zoom fatigue. They have back-to-back meetings. Um, How they communicate and engage with each other has changed so much. And um, conversations that I've had with teams, um, they're missing um, just the water cooler time. They're missing being able to walk up and down the hallway and just check in physically with someone and um, just look and see what they're working on and have those face-to-face communications. Zoom is great for organized meetings, but it's very difficult um, to stay connected ad hoc. And um, we miss that. Um, and I and teams are feeling that in some ways they're they're more productive because they're uninterrupted at yeah. home. <laughs> but on the other hand, they're they feel less connected. And so, if we're working with these with teams, how do you keep a team together when everyone is remote and communication is different? Yeah, I I like what you're highlighting there that, you know, being a team is not only about the work and, you know, everyone's got their tasks and as long as they're delivering, you know, we're great. Like there is this other quality about being a team. Uh, And I know, you know, some of my coworkers have been, you know, proposing and scheduling, you know, like let's have the virtual lunch, let's have the virtual happy hour. Uh, Let's say today, you know, everyone wears their Hawaiian shirts, you know, or their favorite sports team, you know, like Jersey, uh, you know, on camera. And and we just like feel that sense of camaraderie, even though we are in in different places. Uh, I also know like one leader that I I really admire uh, made a point of telling her people you know, if if you needed a change of scenery, you know, like by all means, like take take some time off. Uh, you know, if you want to get an Airbnb, you know, that might be something to consider. You know, hmm. she I think she had appreciated wow. being able to like take some time like with her family, uh, you know, more like a retreat, like nature uh, kind of setting. 
and even working there felt different, you know, than, you know, the the number of us that's like, I'm still in my house. It's, it's day I've lost track and I am still in my house. Uh, You know, and and even for me, like, I know I've spent time in the last week just reorganizing my home office uh, because the clutter was piling up and the things are everywhere. And I was like, I need to change my uh, internal scenery here um, to give it a different feeling um, about my work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I'm curious about some of that with some other people too. If you know, if you found effective tools to have um, uh, your daily stand-up meetings, mm. your retrospectives, um, these the, these key ceremonies that enable the team to organize and and uh, keep keep moving forward with their make their commitments meet their commitments um some you know these ceremonies um that for some teams were extremely effective Mm -hmm, in person mm -hmm. they had parties they had potlucks uh they you know if they had a sprint retrospective or end of sprint they'd have a get together and celebration in person but Mm -hmm. now we do this remotely so how do what types of things are effective for you guys Hmm. First of all, I think some things that we're forced to do are things we should have been doing all along. Um, <laughs> I, I read a I read a comment a couple years ago that said if you have a team where you have one or two remote people, then everybody should think of themselves as being remote. Yeah. Because yeah. the five or six people in the room are also remote to the other two people. Well, now we can't we can't get away from that. Um, the other thing is because of the fatigue and because we're scheduling, we think we need to schedule more meetings because we're not around is end them 10 minutes early, you know, never have a meeting end on the hour. Mm-hmm. And that's probably something we should be doing in the office. You know, I mean, it's physically impossible to go from a nine to 10 meeting to a 10 to 11 meeting. It's impossible. You either leave the nine, the nine to 10 early or you're late for the, 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 10, the 10 to 11. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in terms of tools, I, I mean, I would look online. I've seen there's there's always been great online retro tools, uh, some free, some uh, you know at cost. Um, and and I think, no, like I'm going to tag in there for a second, but yeah. like knowing like like what is it you really need the tool to do, and finding right. a tool that does that. And not much more, because uh, I've seen in some settings we're going with like super powerful, you know, like it could do all the collaboration, you know, customized templates and all this stuff. And it takes a while for people to get familiar with the tool. And we didn't plan that time for our one hour retrospective. And people- so people are getting lost in trying to contribute and participate uh, as they're just getting familiar with, you know, that, that new whiteboard, you know, or, or you know, sticky note kind of tool that you have found instead of like what might've been a simpler, you know, much more intuitive, easy to use tool for that purpose. Yeah, the, the Zoom bingo with, you know, you're on mute. I, th- I was yeah. on mute. Along those, is, along with those is the first 10 minutes of I can't get into the tool. It's asking me to download the tool and all that other. That I other can't stuff. find my cursor. What am I yeah. looking at? Yeah. I don't think about the point you made, Allison, but that's, that is a great point. I mean, we necessity is, is necessity is a mother, right? Necessity is the mother <laughs> of invention. And uh, I had teams that I had to do. Um, uh, relative estimation workshop for, mm. 
And I use this great uh, intricate relative estimation tool called Trello. <laughs> yeah. And 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 you can do it if you think about it for five minutes. Now Trello is fairly easy to use. Mm-hmm. If you can think about using that for that, then maybe there are some other things that that you can do. That's a great point about not getting overcomplicated. Which canvas of the canvas tool should I use? Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because we're not ever confused on uh, what to do with a uh, Sharpie and a post-it note. People know what to do if you give them physical things. They don't have to figure it out. They know how to use those things. But, yeah, I didn't. There are so many tools out there. And uh, simple by keeping them simple and choosing the ones that will do just enough Mm -hmm. um, is a really good point. Yeah, but things like things things like whiteboard with just you know sticky notes and that those are good entrees and good middle grounds you know where you can say you know and 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 I like you know maybe to expand on Alice's point is build in five or ten how to uh, time time to do mm-hmm. that yeah I wanted to circle back on that because um you know over the this is July when we're recording this one and, yeah. and we've been on lockdown now since since March we're locked down whatever yeah. you want to call it but, <laughs> um. And so much has changed, but it's also stayed the same. I remember even back in March and April, people were saying, oh, you know, our leader, our manager, whoever is throwing a happy hour or a, an open yeah. meeting all the time. At, and, and BYOB is OK since you're at home and <laughs> that type of thing. So these are these are nice. And we, we've heard some of these. Um, but that you said something about the Airbnb. Someone is offering their 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 people to like change their location if they need yeah. to. I mean, that's that's one that I hadn't heard yet. And, and that sounds like a very necessary thing, depending on your situation. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I consider myself very fortunate to have a house uh, with a yard and then I can go out and enjoy. But I, I would imagine like my sister in, in Brooklyn, who's on the seventh floor, she's got a different scenario from me. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that <laughs> Forget some about people want to kind of <laughs> get out of their space. And yeah, um, yeah what a great solution. Any, anything else kind of that you can imagine like that that's off the beaten track? I like the comments that, that increased connection. And that's something that, again, this is another thing we should be doing um, regardless of whether we're on lockdown or not. Mm. Um, I, I think it's the advantage, Lessioni's lesser known book, where he talks about getting to know people on the team makes work easier too. So the idea of even a shirt or a hat or a, you know a picture of a place you've been, uh, have people talk about, it, have them break off into one-on-ones and it's like, oh, I didn't know you liked Kauai better than Maui. You know, that's really cool. I go, I go to Maui all the time. Tell me about Kauai. And all of a sudden, the work stuff is a little, is is a little different. So, yeah, anything that breaks that, breaks that stuff up. And I, and I think especially like we see those moments where it's like you know like someone's cat you know like walks in yeah. front of a camera oh, yeah. like oh I'll, I'll, tell us about the cat you know um, that we're getting we are getting this like different visibility into yeah. people's personal lives um, and and there's certainly pros and cons like th- things that are cool about that and things that are like kind of uncomfortable at times of like oh like if you saw me the other week when I had the like, clutter like all built up like <laughs> that's kind of revealing. <laughs> I had a, I had a, I had a mentee that I was talking to and and she started talking quietly and I said, hey, what's going on? She goes, my husband's out of work and he's been drinking a lot and I thought, oh, please stop. Please stop. Mm-hmm. Bro. Please stop right there. That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. So you're right. There's sometimes you need to understand where, this, where the space is. Yeah. But I, 
I think it's really important to know um, what our challenges are personally sometimes with mm-hmm. this. We now work at home and who do we live with? Do we just have our pets? My mother-in-law lives with us now. That's a new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't used to happen. You know, we, you know, do people have kids at home that they're struggling? I think that giving each other that, um, I think making time to connect personally, you know, how do we do that? Um, I'd like, Allison, you talked about, okay, let's have a theme and we'll wear certain shirts or yep. something. Nice, you know, yeah. How do we make sure that we almost schedule the time so that we have time to connect? That's yeah, one point yeah. I wanted to echo, though, too. Earlier, Ruth, you had said something along the same lines, and it made me think that the cadence of if you're using Scrum, for example, if you're using any yeah. kind of a, a process, a framework with a cadence, that helps. It helps build that habit, that consistency. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something I've found personally very helpful in not letting the dishes pile up, you know, metaphorically mm-hmm. or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. well, and, and I think this is also, uh, you know, that recognition of like y- your, your daily stand up. Don't just have 15 minutes to talk about the work and drop off. Right? I've had folks that are very intentional about like they dial in early so they can have that like pre chat, you know, like, you know, like, how's it going with folks that have also dialed in early or they might linger a bit later, yeah. you know, on the call just to just to get that water cooler, you know, feeling again. Uh, And so like, like absolutely plus one to the idea of like our meetings, like let's end them early and not run it to the full hour. And let's actually also build in the time for the social connection, uh, you know, that, you know, and how that plays out maybe on the cadence or maybe at separate events. Yeah. Even uh, stand up I did with one of my teams was, on, on a Monday, we would talk, go through the typical questions of, you know, what have you been working on and what do you plan to do? What are your blockers? And what did you do that was fun over the weekend? Mm. So that personal connection and the personal conversation was mixed into the work conversation. Yeah. And um, I think that it went really well. People really enjoyed it. And it didn't take away from productivity at all. And yet, at the end of that stand-up meeting, everyone felt more connected because they kind of understood what did everyone do the last couple of days. Yeah. yeah. I, I was concerned about the, the Scrum Masters I was coaching about when the change happened. We got told on a Saturday morning, don't come in on Monday. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that weekend, I set up you know maybe a bullet list of five major things to remember and then set a daily 4 o'clock. I called it a check-in. It was really kind of office hours kind of um, – mental health counseling, Mm -hmm, you know, let's mm -hmm. just get together and just talk about how things are going. And I thought we'll do that for a couple of weeks and then we'll be done. And for two weeks, we did it every day, but we can, we were doing it two months later. And it was Ruth, like what you were saying, it started, it always started with somebody tell me a win you had today. Mm -hmm. You know, tell me, tell me something, a win you had, you know, and then I'll tell a couple of good things that I had seen. Um, And, and just knowing that there was, it was almost like a scheduled water cooler, it was completely optional. Some days I had three people. Some days I had 12. Um, yeah. I, I will say, like, I, I've been really impressed uh, at, at teams, how they've adjusted to this, because I, I feel like the connection is there in the sense of people have been giving one another grace 
You know, as as there's the bandwidth issues, as there's the the kid in the background making noise, you know, as the cat walks in front of the camera, you know, as you know, people are showing up late that normally would never be late. Like we're we're adjusting and we're being okay with that. Like we're making space for it instead yeah. of, you know, like if, if this was happening, you know, in the physical office, you usually would have gotten the glare or the, the like accountability conversation, you know, or like something, you know, judgment around you not being professional. And right now I think there's this like sense of it's okay to not be okay. It is understood that you don't have everything under control. Like we're all making do the best that we can. Like that's the level of connection that that seems to like pervade regardless that mm-hmm. I think is really inspiring. I had um, Paul Tevis on uh, yeah. this podcast a few times back. And I mean, he's just a fountain of, of wisdom um, just yeah. in general. Uh, but a lot of what you had said, been about like ending meetings on time and and having taking the time to um, go through technical um, tech check in the beginning of, of any meetings that's that's all useful but just in general I'd, I'd advise listeners to go back a couple of episodes and listen to Paul um, just on running meetings virtually a lot of a lot of good stuff in that conversation um, Ben speaking of your name <laughs> the next card is yours uh, here you go so how do we coach leadership teams our leadership or teams, I guess you're saying, uh, whose attitude is, quote, just tell us what to do. You have those people on your teams? <laughs> Leaders. The team. The teams are sometimes like that. The teams are easy to deal with. And I'm, I, one of the things I love about Paul is how concise he can be. And I, mm. I need to model that from him. So let me try to be concise on this. Um, and I, I, kind of, I kind of teed off most of it when we did the little round robin at the very beginning. Um, we as coaches, you know, the, the, you know, teach a person to fish and that whole thing, that's kind of our mantra. And we know that that's sustainable. We know that's extensible. We know that's the best ROI on our team. And yet we, we can't dismiss the, the requests that we really want to know what to do. We know, you know, what we're doing wrong and what to do. Why don't you just tell us to do that? Um, and, uh, my first instinct is to poo-poo that idea of just tell you what to do and running the risk of not giving my, my patrons what they want rather than what they need. And assuming I know what they need, usually I'm pretty good, but, but I can't ignore and I do ignore what they want. Um, so how do you balance that? You've probably been in situations where you, you see what would be better and what do you do? That, I mean, I've had teams that were very frustrated. I, as a consultant, sometimes you're put in that place where um, they are, they come with that attitude of, we're paying you to tell us what to do. Uh, we obviously don't know how to do this right. You do because we're paying you to do it. Um, just tell us. And um, yet, if you go down that path and tell them what to do, then I often find that there's a lot of there's resistance when um, people don't understand the value behind what they're doing or how you want them to change. So I try to really look at uh, work with them to frame changes in uh, small experiments so that they can expi- not to just do the experiment but to experience it. Um, 
And so if you need a change to a particular ceremony, for example, that change they need to experience the new change and the new way of doing things and get a chance to talk about what did that feel like? Was that successful? Was that change something you want to continue or should we tweak it? And I, when I've been asked to just tell them what to do, I try not to go down that hole because I know that they're not, it's not going to be successful and they're not going to come away with an understanding of the different way of doing things. One, th- one thing I don't do enough of in that in that line of doing experiments, the experiment thing is, is a great idea, but something to kind of coil the uncertainty of, oh, my gosh, another experiment. We're going to try some stuff mm. is to do, again, what we should always be doing, which is go in with a hypothesis yeah. and and make sure that your experiment's instrumented so you can tell if it's better. So it's not just we're going to try this, but it's we're going to try this because I think this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And at the end, we're going to look back. And if we see this, we were successful for, for people who are experiment weary. That might be a better way to, to say we're not just throwing spaghetti on the wall. Yeah, no, often I will you actually write it down. Uh, I, I, I will use a, a, a it's kind of like a coaching card that tells um, them what is the experiment? Um, what is your hypothesis that, OK, we're going to try this. And uh, we think that if we do this, make this change or do things differently, this will happen. And so then you do the experiment and go back and explore what that hypothesis was, what was the outcome, and um, it helps having that conversation. But I do go into experiments with written writing things down ahead of time. What am I trying and what do I expect to be uh, to happen? There, there is pure genius in having it written down because uh, I, I know sometimes I, you know, start going off instinct, right? And like, oh, we had the conversation, everyone bought in, but there is, I, I've seen the difference when I had it written down and we could all point back to it and yes. say, that's, that's the thing that we agreed upon and that's the thing that we're trying and that's what we're going to measure against, you know, instead of, we talked about it, but then like our memories, you know, start changing it up. And when we're trying to revisit it, it or even like in the implementation, like it's it's shifting and it's getting much harder for us to stay aligned, you know, the way that we had wanted to. Yeah. And try to keep the experiment small, you know, and, you know, with Scrum, it's great because we have that two week time mm-hmm. box. And so you can. Say, okay, let's just try it for two weeks because sometimes it's really scary or somebody doesn't want to really do something. Mm -hmm. And that's how you can get that buy-in by saying, you know, it's okay. Let's just try this specific thing for two weeks. This is what we're going to do. This is what we hope the outcome is. And um, time box it in a very short period of time. Not you don't have to say two weeks. Let's just do it for three days. I mean, put a time box on the experiment um, so that you can go back and visit whether or not that's the path that you want to follow. Yeah, I, yeah. I did hear I, the, but 
I was going to say like this initial question, right? If someone comes to me and says like, just tell me what to do, like alarm bells, you know, start yeah. going off in my head. Like it's a trap. <laughs> yes. Like there, there is actually something about that particular situation or that problem that is far more complex than my understanding of it alone. Uh, that if I continue to go down the path of like, I'm telling you and I'm telling you and I'm telling you, I don't know when or where, but it will bite us. Uh, because my advice as good as it is from all of my experience and all of my knowledge and and like all this thinking it's not going to be sufficient by itself and and that's why you know working with people that co-ownership that coaching that probing you know all these things that we've been talking about we need that process for a very good reason it's because there is other stuff happening in that environment that even the problem we're looking at might not be the real problem. You know, like I I think to what Ruth was saying earlier with the executives, you know, they're pointing at it's this and it's this and it's this, all these facts. And you go, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yep. And at some point they're going to like get tired and go, and and it's like, they're now sitting amongst like thousand problems of the organization. They go. And the only thing that really matters is like tackling this one thing. And you go, fantastic. We've got the one thing that we need to focus on. Right. And I think that tell us what to do is a trap in that you lose that vision. You lose an opportunity Mm -hmm. to talk with them and help figure out what is the vision, what do they want. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you can tell them what to do, but it might not get them in the direction they want to go at all. Um, I'm going to I'm going to channel my inner Lorraine Aguilar, uh, who has a very simple picture that helps work because the alarm bells go off when I hear it. But my first Mm -hmm. instinct is that's a behavior I need to change that. I don't Mm -hmm. want that kind of behavior. Mm -hmm. And she has a very simple diagram. I I think it's an iceberg where the tip is behavior. And we look at the behavior. We see the behavior. That's what we want to change. And way underneath, the bigger thing is the need that's driving that behavior. And rather than work on that behavior and explain why we should do it differently, mm-hmm. try to understand the need that's driving that behavior and meet that need a different way. Mm. Right. And if you can meet that need a different way, then they're not going to feel unsatisfied with, oh, trust me to run this experiment. I mean, some will understand it, get it right away. Mm-hmm. But in others, if you say, OK, well, you know what? I hear what you're saying. I'm not sure if this is the right way to do that. How would you feel about, you know, you know, I get what you're saying, and that is important. That's something we want to fix. What if we tried to do it, you know, parentheses, my way? <laughs> <laughs> but 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 to help to help them understand that. Yeah, I have a good story that for the technical people who don't get it, uh, uh, we worked with a, a junior engineer and a senior engineer, and, and I was off site this time, and he called me up and said. He's not helping me. He's treating me like I'm stupid. He doesn't answer my questions. He sends me away every time I ask him a question. And I know he's not busy because he's playing solitaire all the time. Steve, what's going on with Alexi? He, he has no inquisitiveness. He doesn't look up anything. He's never going to learn. You know, he comes and asks me all the questions. Okay. Credible on, on both sides. Mm-hmm. And, and if you put that scenario in front of a leader who's asking you to tell him what to do, they'll tell you, oh, well, you know, Steve, the lead, should be able to triage the issues and should help the things that five minutes is going to save him a week, but he should give him some leadership on where to go so he can learn on his own. Any leader will understand that, and that's the coaching stance that we should be taking about 
you know, you're coming to me with things and I know that some of these things I can tell you, but other things would be much more impactful. Unless you're going to pay me for the next four years, my guess is as lovely as I am, you're going to want me to be gone before too long. And when I leave, my lessons have to be extensible and sustainable. Yeah. And I think if I teach you the, you know, not the, not the exact how. By the way, this is an important lesson I had for a mentee who was a scrum master. Because she didn't, um, she thought if she saw a problem, she should fix it. And that makes such an intuitive sense. And the idea of stepping back or thinking about, is this something I should be suboptimal locally, but globally optimal over the long term? That was that, it. That's a big one. You know, like a lot of times they would say, like, Scrum Master removes the impediments. Well, some Scrum Masters want to be, like, proactive and remove impediments that haven't even appeared yet. Um, And it might have the negative impact of, like, the team is rather weak. You know, like the the team is kind of codependent now on that particular person. uh, And they're not able to solve, you know, a number of problems on their own. They've lost some of that self-organizing, you know, like muscle that we desire from the team. I, I, I always, I always, I was going to say, I always teach that the uh, scrum master is responsible for the impediments being addressed or removed, not necessarily right. like mm-hmm. the one to remove everything. In fact, oftentimes uh, in a class, I'll, I'll ask people, well, what's another way you can do that without you being involved? <laughs> what's another way you can <laughs> see that? Hey, I wanted I to ask that. real quick before we tie up this topic, is there any difference in what we're saying um, between like working with an individual or working with a, a set of like a team, like multiple personalities, or is there anything specific about now that we're all working remote that throws a wrench into here? These are the two kind of questions that are going through my mind as you guys are talking. Or an individual with multiple personalities. Yeah. <laughs> I resemble that remark. Um, uh, I, I know for me, I, I sometimes find it easier, like when it is a group or when it is a team to, to like ask the open question to the entire group uh, that I'm like thinking, you know, if, if I start to see, you know, a possible path forward, I'm betting someone else in this group does as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and sort of just allowing the silence, you know, for the, the people to think it through and rack up the courage to speak it out loud. Um, it, it happens uh, with an individual. I might frame it a bit more of like, how about we brainstorm together uh, to help them come up with options? Uh, so it's not just Allison has her way, you know, it, and so I might even just like lob out there. Uh, like I was like, well, here's a really bad idea just to get the ball rolling, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, like th- this would be terrible, but let's write it down anyways. Like, what do you think? Nice. Uh, and that might generate, you know, just more options, more ideas on what they can do. Yeah, I think when you have to be careful when it's coming from an individual that an individual isn't uh, spearheading their own agenda on a team. Mm-hmm. So um, sometimes someone just, it's their personality or they've got their own interests and they think that the team would benefit. It, best intentions aside, but they think the team would benefit if certain changes were made and they ask you to say, okay, you know, this is, they say, this is a problem. Tell me the solution. This is what we should do. And it affects the team. So I think it's always important to go back to, um, the you know, look at the organization. Is this part of a team? Who uh, else is affected by these decisions and this change? I, I like the idea of having them synthesize the solution. This is another gem from Paul Tevis where he said, when you say something, 
it's open for debate. When they say something to you, it's the truth. Right. <laughs> so, so, and, and I said, Oh, so the trick is to not, not to him in a different conversation. I said, so the mm-hmm. trick is to make them think it was their idea. And the person was angry and he said, no, no, it's not to trick them into thinking it's their idea. It's to make it be their idea. Mm-hmm. Have give them the stuff and let them get to the spot where they agree with it. Craig Larman's the way he says it is uh, you want people, if you have an insight, he want, you want them to own it, not rent it. If you yeah. say something, yes. they rent it. If you're really good, they'll lease it, you know, for a while. <laughs> but, if, but but if if they get it and, and they own it, then then they're owning it, and it's a lot more mm-hmm. sticky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, what a great topic, uh, listeners! Again, tell us what you think. Use the hashtag on Twitter. Tell Agile Coffee. All right. So our final topic then today, uh, Allison. This is yours. How should managers support teams now? How involved is too involved? And by now, I'm guessing you're meaning these days that we're all working from home. These days when everyone's like (laughs) sheltered at home, you know, trying to work remotely. Um, You know, I I had this conversation with a manager earlier today. He's he's a fantastic leader. You know, like his his teams know that they can count on him for support. He will make himself available. You know, he, he provides that like individual like mentoring and, and care about them in their career paths, uh, as, as well as like helping them to, you know, just kind of juggle the delivery expectations that are on them. Um, but it, it started to hit this question for me of like, wow, um, when you're not able to, you know, like visit the, the team space and like get the vibe, you know, of, of like, what's the morale like? Uh and now that we're, you know, having these virtual meetings, like, like, how does he show up? Like, actually, like, how does he get time with them? How does he get the pulse, you know, and like check in on the morale? And I, I think especially there is so much happening, not only within the organizations, but just, you know, society at large, as well as people's like personal circumstances that they might need more check-ins, like more frequent check-ins uh, to see like, like, how are you, how are you handling things? And, you know, do you need to take some time off? You know, do you, do you need to uh, take a, a kind of a bit of a break on, on like trying to push so hard and trying to be so productive? Um, Cause I, I know I've had things pop up and I'm like, wow, I'm just, feeling kind of fuzzy like I'm just moving at a slower pace and you know I have the inner guilt you know and critic that's like why aren't you why aren't you doing this why aren't you getting stuff done and it's like because I can't I just can't uh, and and being able to then to like tell my coworkers or, or tell my clients like hey here, here's what's on my plate you know, I'm, I'm letting you know, like, like, here's the status of stuff. It's taking me a little bit longer or I, I need to like deprioritize some things or, you know, have that kind of conversation. But I'm wondering, like, what is the advice for a manager today on how they can interact best, you know, with their team as a whole and with the individuals? Yeah, I know. I know individually. Um, I know my, my last position, like the manager chief took the time to schedule a one-on-one meetings um, with, you know, with her schedule, you know, it happened every week. Um, and uh, sometimes it was, uh, I mean, she never put you off and canceled it um, because that, I think it's very important for a manager to respect people's times and give them the opportunity to connect personally. Mm-hmm. I think those personal questions um, beyond 
the delivery of whatever the work is. Mm-hmm. Find out how those how that person is doing um, personally. Mm-hmm. It may be very private. They may not might not want to share. But sometimes, if you just ask them, um, the asking is what they need. They need mm-hmm. to know that someone is asking, and we're in these little bubbles working at home remotely and some people don't see anyone else um, besides their co-workers so um, sometimes you just need that person that connects with you specifically just personally Mm -hmm. eventually you know talk about work stuff but I think the managers need to um, bridge both topics with their people Mm -hmm. my my daughter just had a birthday She's a teenager. One of her friends came over the other day, um, texted her before she came. Mm-hmm. Um, before she rang the doorbell, she put like a little gift and a card on the on the step and then took a few steps back and oh, yeah. rang the doorbell, you know. Um, and that made me think, you know, if, if we're used to all working in the same office and we can get to each other's, you know, some common place or each other's, you know, where they're living, that mm-hmm. might be a really nice gesture a team member or a manager, whoever it is, just coming over and making like that face-to-face contact, staying far enough away, you know, you know waving through the window and <laughs> whatever it might need or, or relying on like, a, you know, the U S postal service and, and doing things by mail, sending things yeah. to each other, just some kind of like contact. I'm thinking, I think that might be a, a next experiment I'd like to try with people. Mm. You know, the one group, the leadership group up in uh, the garden spot of Bakersfield, California, before it got to be 180 degrees or whatever it is up there mm-hmm. today, um, they went to uh, a place that was not closed down and had a daily, you know, had one one meeting every couple, three weeks with lawn chairs around the around the park. That seemed to matter. You know, I would I, there, there's there's something that, that I think works on a lot of the a lot of the topics we talked about today. And it's, uh, yeah, I've heard it called a lot of things like, you know, remembering the future and this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I would I would help a manager understand what they, you know, if they're feeling uncomfortable with what's going on to just say, you know, in three months, manager, your boss is going to, you know, have a, a review of you, you know, going to want to know how the last quarter went. And they're going to write, I think Ruth did a great job because, and I would ask them, give me one to two to three bullet points that you'd like to hear. You know, so you're a manager and you're, you know, you're going to, somebody's going to evaluate you in three months. What are two or three things you'd like them to be able to say about you in two Mm -hmm. or three months? Now look what we've done. What's the acceptance criteria? What a success that we've asked it, (laughs) but in a, in a more conversational way to turn it around and just say, well, I'd like them to say, you know, the team is doing this and you know, uh, my people are this and that kind of thing. And maybe that will then help them because this is the outcomes. This goes back to what Allison yeah, talked about. Yeah, yeah. That's the outcome I'm looking for. Now let's talk about the path to do there. So let's not talk about necessarily starting with, you know, once a week, one-on-ones and this kind of stuff, but what's the outcome I'm trying to do. And then let's see if we can work back into what will get me there. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the remembering the future, like that feels really powerful um, to me because I, I think uh, you know, like some managers, it's like I'm seeing them show up, you know, in, in team events that they normally wouldn't have been a part of, you know, like they're dialing into the standups uh, and, and maybe they are joining like sprint planning. Uh, and 
and just like their presence, you know, can can be like a little weird, you know, on like how much is the team now like kind of starting to like look to the the manager of like what do you, what do you think we should be pulling in or like what do you think the priority is or uh, whatever. Um, but but I also recognize that that the manager, it's like like how else would would they get time with their team? You know, because if it's if it's not on the team's normal cadence of events, you're 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 like injecting yourself, and you're adding perhaps like additional meetings to their lives. And there's like pros and cons, you know, either way. Um, mm-hmm. That that's just like ooh, this. But this idea of like focus on the outcomes, and, and maybe it's that sense of like like what what do you want someone to say about your leadership and your management, you know, after the fact? Um, and that can be the compass to help you make those choices. Yeah. You know, uh, I've done talks um, about how HR can support an agile transformation mm-hmm. and, a, and a decent talk about that is the policies and procedures and how managers work mm-hmm. and, and both you, Ruth and you, Allison have talked about enlightened managers, but there are, <laughs> You know, managers who look at this big safe chart and see, you know, 900 new roles, but not no managers. And what am I supposed to do in this no, new, mm. new role? And we talk about elevating the team. The whole concept of what we do is we sink or swim as a team. We need to be collaborative. We need to swarm. We do this. And then twice a year, our manager comes and does a review and identifies high performing individuals, which is so right, orthogonal yeah, to yeah, what yeah. we're trying to do. So well, what you're talking about is how do you get good, you know, well-functioning, high-functioning managers. Mm. But we have a much bigger issue with the managers who are used to the command and control elements of their job. Mm-hmm. who now can't be doing that. And if they're, if they're remembering the future is, well, I'd like to see all my people get better at some technical skills. Yeah. Okay. What does that have to do with the 15-minute check-in? Well, maybe you'll use that 15-minute check-in a little differently. And a lot of managers would much rather do that element of of, of uh, capability improvements and technical mm-hmm. improvements than being the, you know, the boss and the, the bean counter. I, I think you're spot on there because I, I, I think that, uh, you know, again, these, these enlightened leaders, you know, to kind of pick up on that phrase, they feel the joy, they feel the reward you know, when they've been able to help people really grow in their careers. Right. And, and it's like, you know, I can feel that energy. I can feel that aspiration from them. Uh, and like, I, I know that's where they see themselves going. It's sometimes just like the behaviors don't always like they're, they're the way that they're showing up or like how they're interacting doesn't quite achieve that outcome, uh, you know, in the moment. And so I, you know, it's like how to help leaders see, you know, the difference between how they think of themselves and what their intention was and like the final impact, you know, that they're having on the folks. And, and how can we how can we get it cl- like closer to what they really want to, um, you know, accomplish with that group or with that individual? Yeah. When I when I talk about reviews, I'll, I'll ask a group, you know, how many of you have either had a review or have had to do reviews? You know, hands go up and then how many of you keep your hands up? How many of you enjoyed doing that? And all the hands come down. And and this was years ago. It was billions of dollars spent in this country mm-hmm. on doing those kind of reviews. And the ROI, I think, is about a dollar nine. Mm. You know, there's just <laughs> there's no tangible benefit to any of those reviews. And if you can do, you know, the, the capability assessments, not only it does it make the manager have more fun and do mm-hmm. the right things, but it's mm-hmm. a huge benefit to the company. 
I mean, in this discussion here, I keep asking myself, when can we have an opportunity to ask team members what they are hoping that their manager asked them? When did they get to uh, give this view of the future? Three months from now, my manager was, I was able to say great things about my manager because my manager did X, Y, Z. When can we have those conversations with the employees, with the team members to find out how can we support them? Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a technique. You know, I was at a company where the... Uh, the chief happiness officer, whatever he is, mm-hmm. convinced that to get rid of the annual reviews. Mm-hmm. And the tool yeah. he was using was something called FYI by Corn Ferry. And what you did was you looked at capabilities. And with each of the people that you were the manager of, you looked at these 38 capabilities mm-hmm. and you wound up finding the, the one, two or three that they, sh- they would most like to work on. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> And, and you'd have, you could have weekly check-ins, but now you had a, a focus on, you know, you can talk about other things, but hey, let's spend a little time on what we talked about getting better. And then you would have reviews, but didn't have to be a written review. You know, you can just say, hey, you know, a month ago, we talked about getting you to be uh, more willing to work, uh, to, to work with, to ask questions rather than struggle with things. How are you doing on that? And, and almost like a Kanban, when they get better at that, you throw it away. Well, and, and the way I was, I was talking about this in our last time when Vic and I were together, um, the way you can phrase it to, the, to any individual is, are, you know, are you going to work here forever? <laughs> Probably not. Okay. Uh, yeah, Ruth, Ruth and I know that for sure. Um, uh, well, how would you like to be better prepared for your next, you know, for your next job? You know, how would you like your resume to look better because you're able to do two or three things better? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a huge benefit to us for you to get better at these things, too. But, man, I I mean, if you have a good manager, the ability to turn your relationship into, you know, what are the things you and I agree we, you know, I can help you work better at? Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. they're driving it. Right. This is you came up with this. I didn't say you need to, you know, do this. And I'm not going to have you type it up and put it in the drawer and then pull it out the week before the next review because you haven't done this. You know, you never thought about any of that stuff. See, it's yeah. neat. It, it's it's neat stuff. A lot of neat stuff is out there these days. <laughs> uh, that was a neat topic. <laughs> yeah, thank you all. I learned a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Can we can we give a shout out to Ruth? Uh, this is her first podcast, and you know yeah. this was partly inspired by the advice for aspiring speakers blog series That's on the Women right. in Agile website, and and Ruth was our protege. Uh, that helped our little mastermind group, uh, you know, figure out all the wisdom that we needed to share with the community. Allison, can you tell us where to find that, the, the article, the series of articles? That is on the, the Women in Agile website, so womeninagile.org. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I read that too, and I completely forgot to ask you about that. So thank you. For, yeah, no, and shout out to Ruth. That's thanks. awesome. Good job, Ruth. Yeah. It, it was great to have this opportunity because I felt that this was a safe step for me to take. Um, and I didn't have to repair anything. I, I felt um, like this was a great experience. So I appreciate that opportunity. Can we just spend a moment to just talk about how that, what's going on there these days? How's that program going? Uh, Cause that's, that's something I'd love to highlight. People love to hear 
stories like that this oh, time of the year, right? So. Yeah. So, so you know, Women in Agile is is a nonprofit organization, and Jenny Tarwater is one of the leaders of the Launching New Voices program. And so, Ruth and I happen to be at a retreat uh, using open space with Jenny. And Jenny said, "I, I want to have this topic on launching new voices." And so we showed up uh, with along with a few others. Uh, Jenny described the program to us, and we started, you know, sharing all of our ideas of here's what new speakers need to be thinking about uh, and what they need to be doing, and and like how you go about doing that. Uh, and and Ruth, you know, was like our our kind of like check of like, is this helpful for you? Like, what else do you want to know? Like, ask us questions and pull it out of us a bit. Uh, and then I, I compiled that into the blog series um, that is on their website. And I'm super excited. The program is still going. Uh, they have an event coming up in uh, actually a couple days, uh, you know, for some new speakers to give their lightning talks or give their keynote, uh, you know, presentations online. Uh, and then we're looking at, I think, another event uh, in a couple months. And so we'll be looking for new mentors, new uh, first-time speakers to be matched up. Uh, I've been a mentor. It's a fantastic experience. You get to work with someone new on their topic and how they develop it into a seven-minute talk. And the, the like last thing is they get to go do it for an audience. That's fantastic. Well, I think, I think Ruth, Ruth can be your poster child. Yeah, yeah. Up on the it, it was a fantastic opportunity. Um, like uh, Alice was explaining, you know, it's open space, so whoever shows up are the right people. And um, this small group of people showed up and started talking about um, the opportunity or talk, what do people need to speak and how do we build the community, um, create these opportunities. And I ended up being the person in the room that had never done this before. So here I was um, automatically the protege for all these people and all their great ideas and insights. And um, I just, it, it's a very big hurdle to get over the fear of speaking and uh, picking a topic and mm-hmm. trusting that somebody will care. And this was a great opportunity to get some advice on how to do that and connect with a great group of people. Yeah, and, and we would have thought back in November that the plan was you're going to be like working on a topic and submitting to conferences and like that would be the way that you get to that first speaking event. And now, you know, like so many events got canceled this year. So yeah. many conferences just weren't able to happen. You know, others were able to go remote. Um, but when Vic asked me about the podcast, I said, oh, I have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad. That's great. Well, kudos to you, Ruth, because this was, I wouldn't have guessed. Uh, yeah, you sound like no a way. natural, and, and you're welcome back to the podcast here anytime. Um, I would like to let listeners know that any links, uh, any any of the organizations or books that we may have mentioned here today will be available on the show notes page, which is agilecoffee.com slash episode 71. One last time, I'd like to thank all of my guests here today. That's Ruth Strzok, Allison Pollard, and Ben Rodlitz. Thank you all for joining me today thanks for putting it together Vic. thank you this is awesome you got it so um so thank you all for listening and uh remember dear listeners to enjoy your coffee with friends <laughs> coffee.